I was at the gym with a guy, he owns a knife making company and he sells his knives for like $20,000 a knife. His waiting list is like over a thousand people long. What on earth? So what would you tell him? I told him, I was like, well then, hey, well, well why don't you just get some people and get the shop and let's pump all those knives out. And, you know, I was kind of, you know, blah, blah, and I'm doing all this stuff and we're doing back squats at CrossFit and I'm telling him what he needs to do. And he looked at me <laughs> and he said, I don't want to do that. I enjoy making the knives. And I was like, that's probably the best answer I've ever heard. I don't want to do that. I want to make knives. Well, hey there, if we have not yet met, my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. Today, I'm excited to share with you a conversation that is with a leader that I deeply respect and admire. It's with Casey Graham. Casey is the founder and CEO of Gravy. Gravy helps businesses, organizations, and leaders with failed payment recovery. But what's so cool about that business, and it's largely as an extension of Casey's heartbeat as a leader, is that that is what they do. They help businesses with failed payment recovery. But why they do it? Well, they do it so that they have a vehicle through which they can develop people and develop leaders. This business's organizational culture is off the charts. It's incredible. It's truly remarkable. And so much of that is a direct result of Casey's incredible, outrageous, uncommon intentionality. So I'm so excited for you to learn from his perspective because he truly knows what it looks like to be a practitioner of healthy growth, but it hasn't always been that way. And truly, uh, where I wanted to start was a moment in his life where he kind of came to a critical juncture where he had to reconsider everything. Thank you, number one, for asking uh, about the most painful season of my life straight away. <laughs> no, that's a fun spot to jump in. I just figured, I mean, what I know you know Donald Miller. He always says start with the problem. So it feels know, like that's, that's a good problem. place to start us in it. It's good. It's so good. But um, if I had to describe it, it was me achieving a, I would call a man on the moon moment for me personally of something I've always wanted to do and accomplish, which is start, grow, and then sell a business that would create life-changing money for me and my family. And I did it. And then a week and a half later, I'm sitting in Starbucks by myself and, you know, all my friends are still going to work and everybody's life's still moving on. And I've turned the keys over to somebody else and I had no idea why I did it, except for I just had it as a goal and thought that that was the achieving um, a thing to achieve in business and life. And just I took on and assumed what culture uh, says is the win. And I did that as the win. And then I ended up realizing that more money makes you more of who you are. Hmm. And if I had to be completely honest, more of who I was in that season, um, I believe your soul is either expanding or contracting it at all times. And my soul had contracted down to um, being all about uh, success and mm. being all about people liking me uh, was a big deal. And then being all about um, if the business was doing well, I was doing well. And mm. I was completely 
codependent upon the success of people talk about codependency with people. I was codependent upon the success of the business and being my success. And I had no idea that when that would go away, that I would be left alone staring into a Starbucks barista all day going, why do I exist? This is like all my, everything else just kept going. And it was almost like a death for me in a way that I never understood that when you sell a business, you're not doing a transaction, you're actually doing a life transition. Mm. And I didn't know that. And I just went through it, got the money in the bank account. And my soul had contracted down to the part of everything that was a prop in my life that was the success of that business, that was the people in that business liking me, all of that stuff went away. And so people think when stuff goes away, it's a bad thing. What you know, like they quit or you lost all the money, but it can go away when you have good things. And so it went away because we sold it. And so all of my props went away and all of my why I wake up went away and all of my purpose went away. And I didn't know who I was. I didn't know why I existed. I was numbing myself too much uh, drinking. I was excessive. When I say partying, not like partying like Wolf of Wall Street stuff, but like just busy going, doing on the boat, you know, going to visit the, the, the beach and what are we doing tonight? And like just living this life of like, stay busy, stay busy, stay busy. And then all of that stopped and I was miserable and I didn't know why I existed. And that's where I found myself, you know, 10 days after I, you know, became a millionaire. Yeah, that's pretty wild. It's, it's got to be a pretty unique position to be in too, I would imagine. And that probably the outside world is looking at you thinking like, you just won the Super Bowl. This is amazing. Like, did you feel yeah. a little bit isolated just in the fact that it wasn't the outside perception that you were experiencing? Yeah, the, the hardest thing was saying anything like negative because people's like, you should be open about mental health and you should be open about that stuff. But like when you are and you've been, let's say, world, quote, successful, those things seem like you're being ungrateful or those things seem like you're being like, like you're being like so negative. And how can you be so negative? And, you know, a month ago, you sold this business. You did everything that I would love. The the worst thing is when it's like I would people would die to be in your place. They would Mm. they would trade to be in your place. And you're going like. I don't know why I am breathing and I don't know why I should even exist. And I don't know what I'm doing today. And the clock takes to, I never in my life, the clock took till five o'clock so long. I never experienced that because I had nothing to do and I had nowhere to be and I had no one to hold me accountable and I achieved ultimate freedom. And that freedom was probably the biggest hell for me personally, because I didn't, um, I didn't know who I was and my soul had contracted down uh, to a part where my whole entire existence was based upon the success or failure of me as a business person. Gosh. Well, I appreciate you for being so open with sharing that. That's pretty powerful. The thing that strikes me is that it's not like you built a company at Rocket. At least I don't think you built a company at Rocket that was like dealing drugs or doing anything illegal or doing something that was like morally bad. Like you were building a good enterprise that was giving people jobs. It's like the fruit of what you built was not necessarily bad or rotten. So what what was at the core of what created the emptiness? Because it seems like it's something we can all be susceptible to. I think the core for me when I went back was I needed to prove 
to my family of origin that I could do something different than they did. Mm-hmm. And I needed to prove something. And what I realized is that I spent all of these years building to prove something. And I didn't wake up in the morning and say, I need to prove this. I didn't wake up and like, it, it was it's subconscious, right? But I, I, I needed, I felt like I needed to do that for me to be okay with me, right? Mm-hmm. And for me to, to, to do that. And so it was this proven thing. And then what I realized was nobody cared. <laughs> no, like they didn't care. They, 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 they didn't need me to prove one thing or the other. Like that was all a mental trash game. And so my question is, how much time in our life and business stuff, if we're being honest, could we slow down enough to, to ask ourselves, who are we trying to prove something to? Mm. And proving something to another person and that, that person being an external factor, it's a terrible motivator. And so another thing I, I did as well, even inside of gravy is I used to say like, bring on the criticism, you know, that fuels me. That's a terrible fuel. Criticism <laughs> is a, I know but people, but we say like, you know, that fuels me. And I go, well, that's sick. That's sick. That you take somebody's bad gasoline of criticism to fuel. That means that you don't know what you, for me, what I call owner's intent is. And owner's mm. intent is the idea of strip everybody else's expectations away. And I always say, everybody's trying to should on your business. <laughs> everybody's trying to <laughs> should on your career and they're trying to should on you. And what you should do is this, and culture is trying to should on you to raise money and go be this super big millionaire and blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. When you strip all of that away and you look yourself in the mirror and you ask, why do I wake up and do this every day? And you're like, yeah, and, and it can't be anything external, like to provide jobs for people and all that. It's all bull crap. Like, like that can be an outcome of what you do, but why do you do it? Like, why do you wake up? Like, what is truly motivate? What's in this for you? If you say, well, nothing's in this for me and I'm altruistic, that's BS. Like, there's always something in it for us. What is that? And what do we need from this? And what is that? And that center, if you don't know what that is and you don't know what they, what's driving you, then you're going to end up, you may not end up in my situation, not knowing why you exist, but you're going to end up in a situation where you're going to live your entire life either running from or running to things that you don't even know why you're doing it. And so mm. that's for me, what I'm spending a lot of time with right now is, is focusing down on why in the hell do I do this? Why do I do it? And that's a big deal. Anyway, I'm rambling. So no, 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 that's good. <laughs> but, but so to clarify though, with, with rocket, was it that the answer to that question, why am I doing this was wrong for you? Or was, was it that you just weren't even asking the question at all? I didn't ask, why am I really doing this? I, I would have okay. said, I want to help. I, we were helping churches and that we want to help churches and that we want to provide income for people on our staff. And I want to make a salary and this, that, and the other. I didn't say my granddad killed himself as a business owner and mm. because he had too much debt when I was 12 years old. And that scarred me. And I want to prove that I can be a success in my own business and, and not be that way or that, my dad, you know, 10 years into me owning my own business is still asking me the question, now, what do you do again? And it literally said stuff like unintentionally, unintentionally be like, why don't you go get a law degree? Or why don't you go, you know, he's asking questions just because he doesn't understand what I do. They think I'm a drug dealer. Like, like literally just because <laughs> he, no, I mean, it's just like a plumber, a lawyer, you know, kind of that blue collar mentality. And so those things, I didn't say like, 
I want my dad to be proud of me is why I'm doing this. I didn't, I, like, I didn't, I didn't know those things because I didn't take time to be honest with myself and reflect. Does that make yeah. sense? No, it does make sense. And I, man, I don't know if, are you familiar with Jordan Peterson? Do you follow oh, yeah. any of his I stuff? I love him. One of the things that I love that he talks about, about great narratives, he's like, man, the thing that you most treasure is always right next to the thing you most fear. That's really good. Those motives that you're talking about, though, of like, oh, man, things with my dad, things with my grandfather, things I'm trying to prove. It's like, it's way easier to avoid those things. But in avoiding those things, we there's something that we miss out on. Wouldn't you agree? A hundred percent. That is really good. Can you say that one more time? I want to let that sink in. Yeah. And he talks about it with relation to like the Lord of the Rings story and the Hobbit stories. And I mean, these, these incredible narratives is like the reason why you connect to it is because it presents a truth that is so important for all of us to recognize. And that's that the thing you most treasure is always sitting right underneath the thing you most fear. And so Gosh. he basically says, you have to go slay that dragon to get the thing that you most treasure. And it's like, <laughs> and then he says, and you want to tell me dragons aren't real. How much you want to bet dragons aren't real? Like, it's like, I mean, what you're talking about is you had to go slay some dragons. But what I've learned about those dragons is they don't ever go away. Is that right? I think you overcome. And then I think it's cyclical. Like, I, I, I truly believe that you may beat one thing, but you're not done beating the next. Like it's, it, it literally starts over. And I heard somebody say that every level has new devils. That's mm. what it is. And so at every level, there's a new devil. That's what it was. At every level, there's a new devil. And what my biggest fear is, is that I'll keep going through life. And I'm sure you know people like this, that when we get to 62 years old or whatever, you know, 82, we get further down 52. For for me, I'm 40. So I get to 50 and I'm still trying to slay the same dragon. I was trying to slay at 40 because I never got promoted. I never slayed it. And so I don't believe we get new tests until we pass the tests that we haven't passed. And I believe that that is the sign of maturity of leaders and the leaders that mature are the ones that, that they know that there's always another dragon. Mm. <laughs> and that's the humility of like, I got past that one. What's next. And that's, that's, that's how, and that's how people, they get older, but they don't get any better is they're still, they let's say it's patient. You never pass the patience test. Now you're just an angry old man that likes patience. Right. Um, let's say it's lust. You never pass the lust test. So you're, you're 70 years old. You're still in it. It's, it's, uh, it's those kind of things where, where those, those deep things inside of us, we slay dragons, but they never go away. Man, that's so helpful because I think, I mean, I'm pretty new to this whole running. Your or maybe they do thing. for you. But no, no, <laughs> that's what I'm saying is I, is I'm, I'm new to this, uh, this whole owning your own business thing. And I think I had this idea in leaving Ramsey solutions, which I know you're good friends yeah. with Brian and Shannon. They were so helpful for me in making that decision. And I got to this point where it was like, okay, I finally made this decision. It took months and months, like all of this internal stuff had to come out. And then I made the decision. It was like, okay, well, that's the last big decision like that. I'll ever have to. Like, <laughs> that was the easiest one. <laughs> yeah. Turns out that's wrong. Turns out it's now begun. But I mean, man, I love this topic of kind of like going to battle and voluntarily choosing to go to battle with the things that you have to overcome in order 
to become the leader that you're supposed to be. And my assumption is just in hearing you talk about it, it feels like that's what that 14 months was for you. Was that the battlefield in so many ways? Yeah. The problem with that battlefield was that it wasn't just work, it was home. Mm. And so uh, that was the, the dragon of that one is that my wife didn't like me. Um, I didn't like me. I was a shell of a human. I could handle uh, questioning what I'm supposed to do, you know, when I wake up and go to work and, and, you know, going through career questioning. I couldn't handle thinking that I had become such a hollow person that, that the person that is such a wonderful human, which is my wife. Her name is Casey, by the way. So if I say Casey, I'm not talking about myself in third person, uh, <laughs> but uh, that Casey would not know who I am and not like looking at me like I'm almost a stranger and because uh, all the props went away and when all the props go away the, the reality of who we are shows up and that was that was the hard part of that 14 months and then mm. um, you know the only way I got through it was there's a I, I don't know do y'all talk about the bible on this or not I'm not yeah. I'm not sure yeah but absolutely even if you don't believe in the bible there's a story that, that some friend, there was a sick guy and he was on a mat and four friends grabbed a corner and uh, they went and found the guy named Jesus. And they said, Hey, we can't get in, but we're going to lower him through the roof. And um, I had, the, the, I think the biggest benefit of my life at that point, what got me through the 14 months was that I had four friends that would grab a corner. And it was the first time in my life where I wasn't the one grabbing the corner, but I was on the mat. And so what that meant was, you know, meeting with me weekly and asking me, like question to daily having conversations to check in on my mental health to make sure I'm staying uh, like above the line of like going into like loneliness and depression and darkness um, weekly and to biweekly go into counseling uh, to really just kind of to stay on top of just just my heart and my thoughts and my feelings and those kind of things and so the the solution out of that was just lots of lots of new rhythms of of counseling friendship. And that's what that season of my life carried me through. So you talk about Lord of the Rings, you know, Frodo had Sam and um, the, mm-hmm. a, a lot of the Sams showed up in my life and a lot of the Gandalf show up in my life at, at that season, but they would never have if I wouldn't have been so broken. Man, that's so powerful. I, I think I have experienced this in my own life. I, I've seen some of the leaders that we get to work with have these moments of clarity as well where they just step back from things and they start to realize, I don't like the person that I'm becoming. I don't like the man or woman, husband, wife, business, even business, like organizationally. I don't like this thing anymore. I'd love to know, like when people have that realization and they have the guts to be brutally honest with themselves in, in that way, what would your advice to them be on what they, like what do they practically do next once they're stuck there with that? Because yeah. the temptation, I think, is to avoid that. Well, I just went through it again. So I'm five years into uh, gravy, and I've never done anything consistently for more than about eighteen to, to eighteen months to two years without variations of it or new products. Like at my last company, we had new pro- we could start new products. Like I've been doing the same thing with one product and one idea and all this kind of stuff, and <laughs> I just felt stuck and defeated and went down a loneliness pathway and kind of started spiraling down, you know, this and Renee, my co-founder, uh, she literally captured me last week and she said, you're not going to go. I work out every day at noon. She said, you're not working out. I'm taking you to lunch. I'm making you talk to me. 
and you're not okay, you need to talk. And then I talked and then the next step, so having somebody like that in your life, but everybody doesn't have that. So she challenged me. She said, Casey, you know what you need to do. And what that was is I needed to call somebody outside of my circle that wasn't in the business. And I needed to just admit to them exactly how lonely I felt and exactly how uh, stuck I feel and exactly how I feel like my soul. And as soon as I called this person, his name's Matt, and I called Matt and told him that, and we had a conversation for 15 or 20 minutes and set up a time for January, it's like it instantly went off my shoulders and I felt free. And so people don't talk about this, but business leaders need to confess to people when they're not doing okay or they don't like who they're becoming. And I don't know if anybody listening to this will actually do that, but if your headspace is in a good space, you, the, the number one way to get it in a good space is call somebody and say it. Mm. I love that you use the word confess there. Like why the word confession? Because that's that's not just a word that we throw around so much. And then also, what does confession in the life of the business owner do for that person? Yeah, well, I don't think we can go very far on our uh, um, alone. Mm. I believe that we need to confess. When I say confess, I, I believe that's the place where you feel like you're at vulnerability to say like, this, this is hard for me to say to another person, mm. right? No matter what it is, because if it's hard for you to say, there's a reason that it's hard. Mm. And that's the trap that gets people messed up with mental health is you feel like I'm the only one, or you feel like I'm going to let them down, or you feel like I shouldn't feel this way because I'm so blessed. That's the big one, especially for successful people is like the guilt of that. And so that's why I say confession. Anything you feel like I sh- I've got on my heart, I need to call somebody and say, and I'm scared to say it. You probably need to call somebody and say it. Yeah, <laughs> that's. I mean, you probably have something. We all have oh, something, right? Totally. Yeah. And, and the, the person that's really dangerous is the one that thinks they don't have something probably. <laughs> like that's a scary spot to be in. But I mean, one of the things that I admire about you and, and like, I think I kind of learned this in listening to some of the other conversations you've done, but also um, Brian, I just, I texted him prior to this conversation, Brian Miles, and just said, yeah. Hey, do you have a couple words to describe, to describe Casey? Uh, and you'll be happy to know they were all great words. So he said, he said, man, he's so fun. He's such an inspiring communicator and leader. He said, he's a great family man. And then I asked him if he had any like quintessential Casey Graham stories. And he said, none that I will ever share publicly. (laughs) I love that. Um, But, but one of the themes that I've picked up kind of about you is it seems like the whole idea of you got to have, you got to call somebody, right? And it seems yeah. that you've got, you've built a network of somebody's, right? Yeah. Like you've got people that you can call. I want to know, like, what do you, what do you do to intentionally build relationships with people that when you call them, you actually trust their advice? That's a, that's a really good point. Because I think sometimes like leaders, especially entrepreneurs, especially they're like, I could ask for advice, but I'm, I'm not positive that I actually trust what that person will say to me, you know? Mm. And so how do you build the right relationships to where you, you really trust yourself to submit yourself to someone else's authority, counsel, wisdom, all of that? It's so interesting that you reap what you sow in your 
your friendships and your mentorships and people don't really think about that, that mm. that's a massive, and, and those are the places that when you're, everybody hits the wall in life. Like usually adults will hit the wall. Like there's, there's usually always at least one time and hit the wall is like major life. Cry, like there's like, it is a major thing that if you told your life story, you would not be able to talk over it. There's a major thing. Everybody gets at least one. And the only way to make it healthily on the other side and to get through and to not be bitter, angry, and hate it and, and your life go off the rails and all that kind of stuff is your friends and your mentors. And so mm. for me, I set literal quarterly goals around friendships and mentorship. And what that means is being specific about what I'm going to do with my friends and for my friends. And that includes, like I've got one coming up. I have an annual tradition with best friends where we go on a annual with our family's best friend for 21 years. And we pay for the, the whole thing. And we go on an annual Christmas trip after Christmas. And we go together and we do that every single year. Um, that every Friday, you know, I've met, I meet with a friend and we, that, that's, the, that's a friendship relationship where we come into that. And literally we start with the idea of here's my story. And I'm going to go backwards and I'm going to tell you everything about me. I'm going to tell you about all the, the, the bad things, the good things, the everything in between. And, and you have that rhythm where you meet every Friday. And it's literally in a part of the rhythm that I'm going to do that, that um, we, we plan uh, different things that we're going to do um, with our friends as couples, as double dates, how many double dates. So like, just like we have a strategic meeting rhythm for what we're going to do with our business and what we're going to do with all this kind of stuff, we do that with our friendships. And, um, uh, on my grave, when I die, I've already decided that my number one, uh, what I want the two words to say is generous friend. And mm. so that is something that I just do. And I treat it like it's a business. So like it's intentionality and planning and nurturing and conflict negotiation, <laughs> like all of those different things. And so, uh, number one, it's strategic. And then, uh, with mentorships, I think I have so many mentors because my dad was like blue collar and he was really good at like teaching me how to like do show up on time, you know, kind of you do what you say you're going to do, you know, all of those kind of things, like just the basics. But as it relates to like emotional connection or career or finance or, you know, um, anything with relationships or, you know, dating and all that kind of stuff, I, I didn't have anybody. And I always wanted somebody. So when I was, when I, I remember being 16 years old and my girlfriend's dad had a thing called, it was Dave Ramsey's first uh, study that he ever came out with before it was before financial peace university. What was that? Wow. Do you remember that? I, I think it was that life, life after debt. I know that was one of the names that he had for him. Is that something in that arena though? Something. And I literally remember seeing him doing that. And then I asked him, would he take me through that at 16? And I just, he, he taught me about my, uh, Ken Polk, uh, who is uh, Arlington Family Partners. Uh, when I was, when I was uh, 12 years old, I literally called him and said, hey, can I cut your grass? And I cut his grass and then I would go inside and he would teach me how to invest in the stock market when I was 13, 14 years old. For some reason, I've just always had a curious spirit when it comes to like, they know something that I don't know and I'm going to spend a lot of time asking questions. And that's held true. Like I have, I, I can name the, so I have some of the best mentors in the world. And I think that's just because 
I'm curious and I want to like, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I, I feel so bad because people are like, how do you have so many mentors? And it's like, because I know so little. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> no, this no, is a I matter mean, of necessity. Yeah. It's, yes. You need it. Yeah. Oh, that's but I'm so curious. Great. I would say curiosity and I don't know how to make somebody curious. So I don't know if I'm helpful in this or not. I kind of rambled and I'm sorry. No, 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 no apology needed there. That's but with so friendship, huge. with friendship, you've got to be the one to spearhead all of it. And people be like, oh, well, they didn't, we, we didn't make time. And it's like, no, 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 no. This is like, we send out emails and, and, and text and like make it happen and like get on calendars and plan in advance. And it's like, if you actually give a crap about your friends, then you're going to be the one that does that. And because of that, you're going to live the richest life of anybody else because nothing is more, nothing, every other relationship is blood or business. If you really think about it, the only relationship that's the purest relationship on earth that you mutually choose each other and there's no covenant associated like a marriage is a friendship. So it is the most vital part of a business owner's enjoyment of life. Man, that's huge. And I know y'all focus a lot at Gravy on developing the people that work for Gravy personally. I think I read something like y'all have them create a 10-year plan and y'all review that with them. Is one of the messages that you're constantly preaching to them is build friendships, build friendships, build like is that part of your MO around the business? Yeah. So so we call it decade of destiny. And there's three big buckets that I've narrowed this down to that um, is how I plan my life as well is there's going to be um, a relationships, there's going to be uh, money or wealth, whatever you want to call it, and then there's energy. So it's mm-hmm. relationship, money, and, and under each one of those is three things. And so under relationships, there's family, there's friends, and then there's a relationship with a higher power of whatever that is for you. Um, or if you mm-hmm. don't have that, then you can just eliminate it. But, but we literally call out friends as one of the buckets and then drive people to the idea of when we do what's called the two and a half percent club. So meaning that out of 10 years, there's 40 quarters and out of 40 quarters, every quarter is two and a half percent of 10 years. And so the two and a half percent club is that everything in life compounds, everything compounds. So good or bad relationships, money, energy, everything compounds. And so we say, what are you going to be, what, what do you want compounding interest on over the next 90 days? And one of those things would say be friendships. And then out of that, we drive them down to making decisions and they become super intentional. And then the compounding nature starts in their friendships. And if they do it two quarters or three quarters in a row, they start, they'll get to the end of the year and go, I have the best friendships in the world. Well, I wonder why you were freaking intentional. You showed up, you did the plan, you took care, you sent the text, you actually did the lunch, you did the things because everybody says, oh, I care about my friends so much. Bull crap. You, you don't care about your friendships if you don't spend time planning it. And so that's, mm. that's what we do. Um, and then we help everybody do that. I'm actually doing a training tomorrow on that. And that's one of the things we want people to do is enjoy, enjoy their life. Oh, I mean, that's so like, that's just so cool. Cause, cause if someone tells me, man, gravy is failed payment recovery, I'm gonna be like, no, they're not. They are human and leadership development under the guise of failed payment recovery. So I want to know, because that is so much of the the mission and purpose of the people that we get to work with every single day is they're like, yeah, "Yeah, we're in landscaping, but really we're not building projects. We're building people and leaders. Right. And they want to create that, but they don't have it nearly as formal as what you just described described with the decade of destiny. So what was the genesis of number one, that being like a heartbeat of your company, people development, and then how did decade of destiny come about? 
Well, the first the first beat of the heartbeat being that when I first started the company, I created my owner's intent to say I wanted to create a company that my adult children would want to work at someday if they so chose to. Meaning, essentially, why do I go to work? Is I want to create something I'm proud of. That's essentially what it was. And I had never built anything to that point where I felt like I was proud of it. It's not that it didn't make money and it wasn't good, but it wasn't like something I would go, I'm proud of that. Like, that's that's the way I would do the meeting. That's the way that we do the one-on-one. That's the way that we would do the promotion or that's how we would fire. Or that's who we would keep and that's who we'd let go. Or that's how we would do the, the big summit gathering when we all get together. Where are we going to stay? Well, what would I want my adult daughter to come home and tell me, Dad, we went to Nashville and we stayed in this place and here's what we did. Hey, here's what they had in the rooms. And so the filter being through, I want to be proud. I've never been proud. And that's why I work. I, I, the selfishness side of me is I want to be able to look and, and go and stand in the mirror and go, I am proud of myself for working all of those hours to do. So, so that was where the, where the heart began was there uh, because the other company I did was more like everything was about squeezing out the last dollar, creating the most bottom line, making the most money, all of that kind of stuff. And so I just didn't want to do that. I know how to make money. I don't know how to be proud. I want to be proud. The, mm. Making money is easy. Being proud is hard. And so that's the heart. Decade of Destiny came about because I, we, we do these gatherings. We, we call them summits. And when we get together at our summits, I always think through like, if my daughter showed up at one of these, what would I want the CEO of their company to help them with? And it had nothing to do with, nobody gives a crap about failed payments. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, like this isn't like an eternal calling, right? This is a business problem we solve, but who's behind the failed payments? It's wonderful people. Well, what I want for wonderful people, what would I want for my daughter or my son if they came to something? Well, I'd want the person to help them with their life. And so I was like, well, then what do we do? And I'd always, I had a planning system. I didn't name it Decade of Destiny, but then I was like, okay, we're going to name it and name it Decade of Destiny. And uh, we still do it to this day. And I, I, I believe if you help people with their lives, they're going to help you with the business. It's that simple. Mm. It's like, it, but, but people spend so much time trying to motivate people with the business. And it's like, if you get good people, you don't need to motivate them with your business. You need to help them with their life. You help them with their life. And then they're going to happily want to do stuff in your business. And then that's, that's where it all came from. Yeah. I think there's so many visionary, excitable, charismatic leaders that have that aspiration and they want to do that. But probably the bottleneck that is keeping them from doing that is they're holding on to too much of the business. Like they're, yeah. and they are, uh, they're not able to let go. They're not able to delegate. They're not able to handle. And they're doing all these things that they feel a CEO should do. Um, <laughs> and they've just kind of bought that expectation. Was that something that you've struggled with in the past? And if so, how did you conquer that? Because it feels like you spend a lot of your time playing the role of visionary inspiration guide for the company. Is that right? It is, but you got to remember, I've been, this is my fourth go. Like yeah. on the first go, <laughs> you can read all the books and all the delegation and let go. And that sounds great until you got payroll in two weeks and you don't have, like, you got to figure it out. Like, I mean, and you're investing your own money, everything becomes much scarier and bigger and worse and all that kind of stuff. And so <laughs> yeah, it was so much easier to talk about delegation when I didn't own a business. I was way better at it then. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> No, it's true. It's true. So it's unfair at this advantage. At some point, yes, and I was very, very difficult. I held on to, did that. This time around, I think that's why 
we were able to hire so many people and great people and grow at the level we've been able to grow is that honest to God, I literally look at most things in our business and don't like them when I initially look at them, if I'm being completely honest, because Mm -hmm. I would have done them different. I would have said it different. I would have wrote it different. I would have done, there's just like, as a, as a leader and an entrepreneur, you're just going like, like, but, but the reality is, is that it's still really good. Like, and it's just different. And so I had to, I had to wake up and go, I'm not going to let my preferences ruin the growth trajectory of this business because most of the things I would change are preferences, not core issues. It's just like, I would have done that a little different or we'd have stayed at that hotel instead of this hotel, like things that don't really matter, but I have an opinion on. And you have to decide how many of those you're and, and most CEOs I meet have an opinion on everything to everybody at all times. And it, and it kills the, uh, their control freaks and it kills the, uh, the, they may be successful in a business, but it kills the, uh, they're stressed out and mad all the time and upset and freaked out and all this kind of stuff. And it, it kind of kills their soul because they can't let go. Man. So how do you distinguish between a preference and a core issue? Um, it's about values. It's like, is this a value? So for instance, uh, a preference would be the way an email was written. Okay. Okay. Just say written to a client. If you send me any email from any of our staff of how we send it to a client, I will look at it and say, I can write that better because that's something that I like doing is, is copywriting. So like, I'm always going to have an opinion when I see it and go, you know, whatever. Then I have to think through, okay, did it say something that is like harmful or negative or is there going to be some like, like bad consequence or is it just not up to my standard? Well, those are two different things. If it's harmful, if it's a if it's a bad negative thing or whatever, then you got to step in. That's a values thing to go. That's not how we treat clients, right? We don't we don't do that to them. But if it's just a preference of like I would say it different, but there's no harm, no foul inside of it. That would be a preference. Does that make sense? It it does. How do you how do you guard against a standard slipping to such a degree that you you end up walking into a place that it's like man, I don't, I don't even like this place. Right. And it happens all the time. Okay. But, but don't you believe in the idea like, man, see something, say something. I want to give feedback. I want people to know what's in my head. And does that methodology change at scale or what are your thoughts there? Do you get where I'm going here? Yeah, I do. But I think, I think metrics are what then matters of going, okay, well, what are the metrics from on this person? Like, did they, let's say that the account manager it sends these emails out and I don't like the way they look, but the retention is 97% for that account manager. Then it's like, oh, well, the clients don't care. I just care. Those are two different things. And so that's when it goes from like, you know, if the metrics are terrible and the email sucks, <laughs> right? Then you start going, whoa, 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 whoa. No, like that's when I would say something. But a lot of the times, the things that I have opinions on at the end of the day, it, like if I listen to a sales call, I still listen to sales calls. So one of the best things that, that uh, a mentor gave me is I, I'm not a micromanager. I don't think you could find anybody say I'm a micromanager. But what I do is I have a, a, a checklist reminder um, and I do spot checks. So like mm. once a quarter, I listen to five sales calls. And so I get five sales calls sent to me. 
these sales calls are sent to me and I'm sometimes I cr- I'm cringing. Like I founded this thing and I'm listening to somebody talk about it. It's like, Oh, I wouldn't have said it that way, but the deal closed. Mm. So am I going to call the person and tell them to check this? It'd be like, no, because you only get so many of those feedbacks before you become white noise. And so when I give feedback, I want to make sure that it is feedback that is going to make a difference or feedback that's going to, um, uh, going to be worth listening to, and it's going to be macro in nature and not micro in all the little things to, to to make better. Now, some people disagree with this, and they run way tighter ships than I do, but I think they also live with a higher level of stress and perfectionism. Yeah. Well, and I kind of think, looking at it through that lens, I kind of think, man, if I were to listen to a sales call of me three years ago, I'd have yep. a heck of a lot of critique for it. And it's like that, but but it just takes time and it just takes doing it some, and it just takes a little bit of grace to say, we're all learning. But I think you've got to, I think what, what never is talked about is that CEOs, or if you start something, you're going to have an opinion about everything. Like, you, you, when you see some leaders, when they, I walked into this office today where I'm at in, in Nashville and I had an opinion about, it. I was like, look how cool, look at this. And you know, if I walk in a place, I don't like the way it feels. I, and we're always evaluating and all this kind of stuff. But if you live that way with your people all the time and you always have an opinion about everything, uh, nobody's going to want to work with you long-term. Hmm. So how do you, essentially bite your tongue to a degree sometimes and say, I'm not going to address all of it. I'm going to just address the stuff that's core issues and not just let that stuff just bottle up and make you into this nightmare to be like, you're a pretty friendly guy to be around. And I like my fear would be that you could become not that if you just keep stuff bottled up, you know? Oh, I am. So I'm a seven on the Enneagram and I become a, (laughs) I become a bad one under stress and pressure and I become perfectionistic on myself first and then on everybody else around me second. And so there are seasons where I'm a, I'm an ass to be around. I had to say, I'm sorry twice last week. I'm not this like people. That's what I told Renee all the time. Like, you know, you can say like people get this perception just because I, I say, I want to create a company that my adult uh, daughter would or adult son would want to work at. They're like, you're like this great guy. And like, that sounds and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, I just apologized literally today on my phone to my daughter. I had to apologize for something I said yesterday. And so like, we're going to be jerks. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to do all that kind of stuff. But what kind of person, and, and you're going to over opinionate and we're going to over step bounds and we're going to do all that kind of stuff. So when that happens, what, what kind of person would I want my adult children to work for? Somebody that could have mm-hmm. awareness, number one, to know it. And number two, say, I'm sorry. And so I don't do this right all the time, but I have learned the ability to, if it's going to be done about 80% as well as I could do it, and sometimes I'm okay with 70% as well as I would do it, I just let it go. Man, so much of what you're talking about, it seems like all stems back to that owner's intent that you established at the beginning of Gravy. Can you walk people through what are the questions that, or the question that they need to answer in order to have an owner's intent, like what you've got, and then what do they need to do to make sure they're guarding it? Yeah, well, the first you got to, it's got to be yours. It can't be what somebody, what you think it needs to be. So um, you can't, any other shoulds, like I should make X amount of money. I should uh, have uh, this amount of time off. I should, all of that stuff is made up. A great owner's intent starts with saying, 
I own this business. I mean, what, what, it's, it's what I want out, for myself out of the business. Okay. So let's just do it with you. What, what do you want out of the business? Why do you own this business? What do you want? Now I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about why does the business exist? I'm saying for you as the owner, what do you want? The two words that come to mind are freedom and joy. Okay. Why, why do you want freedom? I think I want the flexibility and the ability to be able to take the actions that I believe or that make themselves known as needing to be taken like aggressively and not to ask for permission and not to submit a PTO request. And and I want to be able to do relationship on my terms, not on my boss's terms. And I want to be able to invest and pour into people and change my family's financial future on my terms, not someone else's terms. So that's why is freedom. that important to you though? But why is that why is that freedom important to you to be able to do that on your terms? Man, for me, I, I think it's it's a for me, I What's think it the comes real down answer. To, I, I think it comes down to a faith thing. Like, I for me, I I think like I look at one of our core values at Path for Growth and for my personal life as well is point to Jesus, right? And I look at, at okay. Jesus, and it's like that guy was kind of an embodiment of freedom in so many ways. Now, it didn't mean that he was sitting on a beach drinking margaritas all the time, but he was someone mm-hmm. that like what did was it mean? able. He was able to say what needed to be said when it needed to be said, and he didn't ask for anyone's permission. He he was responding to God's call on his life fully. And like you look at it, and it's like he was a guy that was playing all out, right? And 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 whether he was the son of God or not, he was a guy that was playing all out. And the influence associated with that resulted in billions of people's lives getting changed still today. And so for me, like I look at that and I say man, I want to live life like that, where it's like, I want to be able to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done without having to ask permission. And for me, I think that's what freedom looks like. And that's why freedom really matters to me. Yeah. So it would be something around the idea of like, that you own this business so that nothing impedes your ability to answer God's call on like in your, on your life, whatever that means, like something. And so we're not going to get your sentence down, right? But like you being able to identify that that is, if that's the true real reason, but don't tell me that's the reason then, if then like, it's just really about, I want to make a million dollars a year. So, Mm -hmm. so this is the issue with, with, with spiritual people, spiritual people always think it's got to be spiritual. And I'm not saying you're that person, but I'm just saying (laughs) that would be a great, that would be a great podcast. This is the issue with spiritual people, but (laughs) well, it's just, we think it has to be noble. Totally. And so, and so that's what I did that screwed my life up in the last company Mm -hmm. is really, I had a life goal that I knew I wanted to be a millionaire by the time I was 30 years old. And that's what was driving me. And instead of just saying, I want to be a millionaire by the time I'm 30 years old, and that's why I want 43% net profit in this business, and I'm going to squeeze every dime out of it. I didn't say that. I wasn't honest about it. And I lied to myself. And then everybody else around, I'm going, hey, we exist to help churches, and we want to do whatever it takes and you know, do all this kind of stuff. So I started, I was preaching one gospel, but at the end of the day, behind closed doors, I'm squeezing every penny out so that I can become a millionaire. It would have been much better to say, 
I want to become a millionaire by the time I'm 40 years old. That's why we're going to have net profit in this business of X. And that's why we're going to have sales of Y. And that's why we do all of our marketing emails the way we're doing it this way. And that's why we sell this way is because I personally, owner's intent of the owner of this business want to make a million dollars. Now, does it make that we don't help churches? No, we help churches. If we didn't help churches, we'd go to business. But don't sucker me into this big mission-driven organization at the end of the day when I truly just wanted to be a millionaire. And that's what I learned when it comes to owner intent is getting down and getting people to be completely brutally, brutally honest about what they want from the business. And it's okay. It doesn't have to be noble. It doesn't have to be anybody else's. It doesn't have to be what somebody thinks you should be. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be profitable. It doesn't have to be like, that's the other thing. It can be, I, I there was, a, there was, I, I, this is my last story about this, but this is like my hot button issue. I was at the yes. gym with a guy. I was at the gym with a guy. He owns, he owns a knife making company and he sells his knives for like $20,000 a knife. Like as many as he can make as listen to me, as many as he can make, he can sell for, he has a, his waiting list is like over a thousand people long. What on earth? So what would you tell him? I told him, I was like, well then, Hey, well, well why don't you just get some people and, get the shop and let's pump all those knives out. And, you know, I was kind of, you know, blah, blah, and I'm doing all this stuff and we're doing back squats at CrossFit and I'm telling him what he needs to do. And he looked at me <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, I don't want to do that. I enjoy making the knives. And I was like, that's probably the best answer I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. I want to make knives. I like doing that. And that was the clearest I'd ever heard of owner's intent, meaning that if you went to 50,000 business people and showed them that guy's waiting list, everybody would said he's stupid. But the reality was he was content and he was happy because he knew why he was in business because he enjoyed making knives. And so many people don't know why they're in business or don't know what they enjoy doing. And that is the essence of owner's intent. Mm. One of the principles that we refer to a lot around Path for Growth is that if you want to get your business in order, start by getting yourself in order. And it mm. seems like so much of what you did with describing owner's intent and things like that is, okay, I'm going to put I'm going to put Casey in order. I'm going to put myself in order. And then out of that came this awesome business, right? And it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone that that happens. What I have found can be difficult for myself, but also observe this in others is, you have to almost strip away a lot of stuff to in order to start putting yourself back in order. And and this is an ongoing process, right? Like we hit these moments where I've got to put myself back in order. I've got to strip away everyone's expectations about what gravy should be, what I should be, what That's my right. goals should be. And I've got, to, right. I've got to start recreating myself. How do you go about accurately and properly reinventing and reordering yourself whenever that needs yeah. to be done? Like what does that process look like for you? That's really good. So I, I, for over the last eight weeks, I told you earlier, I've gone through just a lot of, you know, I've never done anything this, this focused for this long. And so the feeling of feeling stuck is not a good feeling. And I'm not stuck because I could hire somebody to be the CEO and I could do, you know, but, but still the emotions of that. And I started really getting into it and, and realizing why do I feel this way? Well, I feel this way because I'm doing things I'm not good at in the business. 
And I did for long enough to go, this is wearing on my soul, meaning it, it wasn't a bad day. It was a bad season. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, like I couldn't get a, it wasn't like sometimes you, it's a bad, you sleep and then you wake up the next day and you're like, ah, right, you know, that was, it seemed terrible, but I feel bad. It's like, it was a chronic thing. And so mm. I'm in the process right now of re-envisioning owner's intent for gravy. And so I'm reordering, I, right, literally right now on the way up here, I was talking to Renee and co-founder about this of going, I'm not quite sure my original owner's intent is true anymore. And that, and that, and, and inside of that is what I started realizing of like something shifting in me. I'm not being honest about why I'm doing this anymore. And I'm digging down into that right now. And so we're starting the process literally right now of what is phase two of that? Because your owner's intent can change based upon you changing or life changing or situations changing. And so I'm re-envisioning now what the next five years looks like. And the other thing that happened was that my first owner's intent was very relational, but as the business has gotten so big, uh, or for, not, not so big, there's many businesses way bigger, but big for me in the sense of like, there's people that work for us that I'm like, I've never seen this person. Like if they walk in, I would just note Slack picture, you know, like this is weird <laughs> to go, what do we do? Why am I doing this? And I haven't even nailed this down yet, but there's something around the idea of building. It's not just about a business that my adult kids would want to work at, but it's also about building a business that Warren Buffett would want to invest in. So that, mm. that idea started and, and started asking the question, what kind of business are we going to build? Meaning like, what's the maturity of this look like? Cause just the, the culture side is what they would want to work in. But what kind of, are we building a cruise ship? Are we building a, you know, a fortune 500? Are we building a, like, I don't, I, I don't have, I didn't have the answers to those questions. And so as it got to this point, it got beyond that and I started um, losing my way. And so that's what I'm re-envisioning right now. So you're literally catching me in the middle of that. And so what I would <laughs> what I, but what I would say is that it's okay. It's okay. Mm. But what's not okay is to not struggle with it and not create clarity around it and not know Brene Brown says clear is kind. Mm. We, we think that means for everybody else, but I think the most important person clear kind is to yourself. And that's mm. what I'm searching for right now is what's the next thing look like to take gravy into a full decade of being in business. And what would that look like for me to, to enter decade number two? And so that's where my head is now. And so I'm re-envisioning. Gosh, man, thank you for sharing that. I, I, the thing that comes to mind for me is I've, I've heard an interpretation or someone discussing that verse, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. I've heard someone that's more of kind of a secular thinker talk about that verse and they say, like, remove faith from it and just say, seek first the highest possible ideal. Like, put mm. your eyes... Put your eyes so far above the horizon that it's amazing. Like when you have something that you can look up to and like be passionate about and excited about, it, it's like, it's amazing how everything else starts to figure it out. And it's just, I am inspired by the way you're challenging yourself to redo that, right? It's like the intent up to this point has worked and now we're going to re-envision it for the future. So thank you for your example. And and I know that we're at time um, and I want to yeah. respect that, but I, I just want to say, man, like, I've followed you on LinkedIn for a long time now and just been following your content and everything that you're putting out to such a degree that knowing the story of gravy, 
it was shocking to me to learn where you were after selling Rocket and that that was such a devastating moment and that you were literally, it sounds like a different man before the guy that I just got to meet. And, and it's so cool that you didn't like stall out in that valley. Like you started climbing another mountain and what seems like a much more fulfilling mountain, which is so, so, so cool. So thank you for your example. And thanks for the work that you're doing because people like me and, and the listeners that we get to serve really benefit Casey. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And uh, I appreciate it. This was a, this is a little bit different. So if you're listening and you're depressed from all the uh, sad stories, then I'm sorry. I'm really, I'm really a fun guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that, I mean, to that point, we would tell people like, go follow Casey on LinkedIn. Yeah. He's a blast. His content is daily. And it's just so good. Anywhere else you would point to people to Casey? Dude, I'm from Alabama, man. I can only do one thing. at one <laughs> Killer, man. Well, glad to know you. And thanks for your time. See you, bud. Well, I'm so grateful to Casey for his authenticity, for his intentionality, and for his undying commitment to helping other leaders win. Y'all, he didn't mention it in this podcast conversation, but I want to make sure I tell you about the book that Casey just came out with. It's called The No BS Small Business Book, How to Win When Most Fail. It's, it's a good one. As you can tell from this conversation, Casey has just such a practical approach, and he's an outrageously competent communicator. And so we're going to put the link to that book in the show notes. I would definitely recommend that you go get it. I would also recommend that you follow uh, Casey on LinkedIn. He's one of the probably the most influential and effective people on that platform right now, which is so cool to see. And then also uh, he has a newsletter now that we'll put the link to in the show notes that he's sending out an email every single week that is just jam packed with value. And hey, also, if you want to sign up for our email that we send out every week, it's called Worth It Wednesday. Every Wednesday we send a principle worth learning, a question worth answering, and a recommendation worth taking. Uh, there's so many of you that are part of that growing list and we're so grateful to you for that. So if you want to sign up, the link to that is in the show notes or you can go to pathforgrowth.com. You know this, we're rooting for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Let's go.